What was your response to curfew as a teenager? Now, not that I recommend this, but my response to curfew as a teenager was driving a bit recklessly. Now, I didn't drive recklessly as a teenager as a way to sort of get back at my mom for having curfew. Rather, I would drive recklessly going home because I was consistently pushing the limit of time it took to actually drive home. Now, I would be at a friend's house and I, I sort of know that I needed to be home by 11 p.m. or whatever the time was. And I knew I needed to leave around 10.45 to get home by curfew. However, I would tell myself I could stay five more minutes and then a few minutes more. And then suddenly I need to get home in six minutes when it takes at least eight minutes to get home. And while I was sort of trying to do the right thing and follow curfew, I would end up doing some pretty unwise things. Now, whether or not you experienced this dynamic as a teenager, you've probably experienced this dynamic as an adult. Whether it was one more drink or one more business trip or one more sleeve of cookies, one more pair of shoes, one more tap of the credit card, the outcome is usually the same. Whether it's curfew, diet, driving, spending, our natural inclination is to sort of live as close to the line as possible. The, the line between legal and illegal, the, the line between responsible and irresponsible, the line between moral and immoral, the line between ethical and unethical, the line between I'm still in control and I need help. It's sort of human nature to, nature to sort of snuggle up to the edge of irresponsibility, disaster, embarrassment, and stay there as long as possible. It's human nature to sort of get by with as much as we can without becoming our own worst enemy, without being grounded, without being embarrassed, expelled, fired, or kicked out of the house. And there's a flawed assumption that informs so many of our decisions and leads us to flirt with disaster. And this assumption sort of impedes our ability to make good decisions. And this assumption is why I think we're so comfortable living, dating, spending, eating, drinking, and driving on the edge of embarrassment or much worse. That if it's not wrong, it's all right. If it's not illegal, it's permissible. If it's not immoral, it's acceptable. And if it's not over the line, well, it's okay. And if the problem with this way of thinking is not immediately apparent, just put on your older brother or older sister hat for a moment. If you're a parent, just put on your parent hat for a moment. I imagine you don't set the bar that low for your children, your siblings, or anyone you care about. That essentially we're asking, how low can I go? Like, how close to bad can I get without actually being bad? How, how close to wrong can I get without actually doing something wrong? Or if you're religious, how close to sin can I get without actually sinning? But it doesn't stop there, because before long we're asking, like, how far over the line can I go without getting caught or experiencing any of the consequences? How unethical, how immoral, how insensitive can I be without creating unmanageable outcomes? How long can I neglect my family, my finances, or my health without feeling the effects? How much can I indulge in addictive behavior without actually becoming addicted? It's sort of a slippery and dangerous slope that begins by asking the wrong question. And the wrong question is, is there anything wrong with this? If we sort of draw our lines or set our limits, establish our moral or ethical boundaries on the borderline between right and wrong, legal and illegal, healthy and unhealthy, it eliminates any margin for error. It's a foolish and really a dangerous way to live. Now, I probably haven't told you anything you don't already know, and we already know this, right? It's why we respond the way we do when someone who we love starts sort of snuggling up to one of those dangerous lines. We don't react to what they're doing, we react to where they're heading. And in those moments, we intuitively know that the issue isn't what they're doing. Because the question isn't, is there anything wrong, illegal, or immoral about what they're doing? We know intuitively 
that there's a more important question, a better question that needs to be asked. A question that if we ask it, if they will ask it, will ensure a better decision. A question if asked and answered honestly and acted on will ensure that they avoid avoidable regret. And if you'll be in the habit of asking this better question, you'll avoid avoidable regret as well. And that question is the fourth question of five questions we're exploring in this series, Better, Fewer, More. And the big idea behind this series is the connection between good questions and good decisions. That good questions sort of set us up for good decisions. And if you'll get in the habit of asking these questions, answering them honestly, and then acting on your answer to these five questions, you will make better decisions with fewer regrets and be more Christ-like. And that will be true for you, but it also for the people who look to you, the people who depend on you. Their lives will be better as well because we are not the only people impacted by our decisions. We are not the only people impacted by our regrets, and we are not the only people impacted by our amount of Christ-likeness. So question number one, am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself really? Because the easiest person to deceive is myself. And as long as you're lying to yourself, you will never be who God wants you to be, or even where you want to be, or who you want to be, at least partially because you aren't honest with yourself about where you actually are. Uh, question number two, what story do I want to tell? That when the decision that you're in the process of making right now, whether it's relational, financial, academic, or professional, when the decision that you're making right now is nothing more than a story that you will tell, what story do you want to tell? That you write the story of your life one decision at a time. And for those of us who follow Jesus, we believe that God is writing a bigger story. That our story is sort of a part of that bigger story. And so what story do you want to tell? And then last week we looked at question number three, is there a tension that deserves my attention? And this is sort of the conscience question. And the conscience is that, that part of your thinking that, that begins to feel tension around an option or a decision that you have. There's something on the inside that doesn't feel right. And sort of pause and pay attention to that tension in your conscience because that is likely God's way to get your attention, to help you avoid regret, make a better decision, and maybe be more like Jesus. So now to question number four. And this question sort of brings us to the verse that we've been looking at from Proverbs uh, throughout this series. Proverbs 27, 12. It says, The prudent see danger and take refuge. And prudent or wise people embrace the reality that what happens today will impact tomorrow. And the decisions they make, uh, they need to make them accordingly. And so Proverbs chapter 12, verse, or chapter 27, verse 12. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. The simple, the naive, they sort of suffer the consequences, as another translation would say. And so the question for today is related to that verse. Question number four, what is the wise thing to do? That the option that you're considering, it might be legal, it may be acceptable, it may be permissible, and maybe it's even the industry standard. It's not exactly immoral, but is it wise? Because here's something that wise and mature people understand, they recognize, they accept this fact, that a decision can be both wrong and unwise at the same time. Uh, and I hate to bring this up, but uh, think about your greatest regret, the moment that you would give almost anything to go back and change. Isn't it true that your greatest regret was preceded by an unwise or a series of unwise decisions? Uh, those preceding decisions weren't necessarily wrong, they weren't illegal, they weren't necessarily immoral, but looking back now, they were terribly unwise. And those preceding unwise decisions sort of paved the way to your biggest regret. And so to create moral, ethical, and financial margin, we need to ask the question of every invitation, every opportunity, and every option that comes our way. 
What is the wise thing to do? And this idea was explained further for us by Paul in a letter he wrote to the Jesus followers living in a city called Ephesus. And here's what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5. You can follow along the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, head to bible.com app. Once you're in the app, head to the more menu option in the bottom right corner, select events, and you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. Uh, again, Paul sort of goes right to the heart of this tension that all of us experience at some point. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. And while a lot has improved since the first century when Paul wrote this, apparently human nature has not. That ancient and modern folks are equally prone to live carelessly and unwise, to sort of snuggle up to the edge of disaster and stay there as long as possible. And so Paul comes along and says to them, and really to us also, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools but like those who are wise. And this is sort of the grid through which we should evaluate any decision that we have to make. Verse 16, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. And this can also be sort of translated redeeming the time. And redeeming the time or reclaiming the time. Uh, don't you wish you could sort of go back and reclaim or redeem the time that you wasted on bad decisions? Not only that, but also like sort of all the time that you had to spend making up for those bad decisions. And Paul is inviting us to invest our time wisely from this moment forward, from this day forward, that you're invited to make the most of, to redeem, or to sort of leverage your most valuable asset, which is your time, to, to invest your time in a way that actually propels you forward to a preferred future. And as we'll see, not just your preferred future, but God's preferred future for you. But Paul says in these evil days, like, well, what does he mean by that? That basically we don't live in a morally or ethically neutral culture. Uh, think about it. When was the last time you saw an ad that encouraged you to be careful, to be wise, or to be self-controlled? Like possibly never for some of us, which means that culture and the world around us probably aren't going to help us with this. And the friends around us maybe, but not culture, because the gravitational pull of culture is now, not later. It's more, not less. And so this is why this fourth question is so incredibly important. What is the wise thing to do? And to get the most out of that question, I think we really need to ask it from three different perspectives. Your past experiences, your, your present circumstances, your future hopes and dreams. So sort of an expanded version of the question is, in light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? So regarding that first part about your past experiences, we're not here to condemn you or make you feel guilty about that. However, we also don't want you to keep making the same mistakes or have similar regrets because our past experiences really do sort of predispose us to specific temptations, addictions, and blind spots, just to name a few. However, those temptations, addictions, and blind spots may not be temptations, addictions, and blind spots to other people around you. So in light of my past experience, what is the wise thing for me to do? Now, this isn't to say that your sort of past has to completely define you because in fact, as Jesus followers, we believe Jesus can give us a new life, hence the name of our church. And one of the best ways to not let your past define you is to not repeat the past. So in light of your past experiences financially, professionally, academically, relationally, where might you have a tougher time succeeding because of those past experiences? And not what is everyone else doing, what is the wise thing for you to do? Now the second perspective is, in light of my current circumstances, what is the wise thing for me to do? That life is sort of seasonal, and as such, our current circumstances, they change, right? And so we need to take into account our current emotions and our current state of mind. 
Now normally you might be great at making wise decisions, but after the clock shows 10 p.m., not so much. Uh, normally you can stay calm, but you start to notice that around mealtime you sort of get hangry. Now, most of my apologies, personally, come from not taking into account my current circumstances. Whether I'm sort of stressed about something, feeling rushed, or I don't have enough margin in an area of my life, those apologies come from reacting too quickly in the moment without pausing to realize my current circumstances. That when I pause, I'm usually more polite, more accurate, and more helpful. Also, when I'm mad, usually for me, the wise thing to do is to say nothing and do nothing. <laughs> but I don't think any of us would sort of deny how our past experiences impact us, but sometimes we don't realize how our current circumstances do as well. So when trying to make better decisions with fewer regrets and be more like Jesus, we need to take into account our current circumstances, and that causes us to pause. And so did you sort of just get out of a relationship, uh, as one example? Would it be wrong to sort of jump back into another relationship right away? Well, no. But in light of your recent circumstances and emotions, what is the wise thing to do? Did you just experience some pain, uh, trauma, or a stressful season? Would it be wrong to make some big, kind of career-changing decisions right away? Well, no. But in light of your current circumstances, what would be the wise thing to do? Now, the last perspective is, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? Now, I couldn't quite figure out a concise way to sort of include this, but our future hopes and dreams also include God's dreams and plans for us as well. Continuing from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. That if we're not careful, if you're not careful, if we're not careful, we have the potential to contribute to the demise of what we hope for and what God wants for us to do. And one of the things that breaks my heart is watching people make decisions that undermine their own future, hopes, and dreams. And many times they undermine God's dreams and plans for them as well. It also breaks my heart to watch individuals or couples make relationship decisions that will eventually undermine their relationship. It breaks my heart to watch teenagers make decisions that are going to result in consequences that will trail behind them for a decade or more. It breaks my heart to watch any people make decisions that undermine the potential that I can see in them and that I know God created them for. Which is why this third perspective about the future, it might be the most important. In light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? That you likely have some idea of what you want for your future. What do you want to look like? Or you might even have an idea, some idea of what God, what you think God wants your future to be. Uh, what your future could be, should be, and even what God intends for you. But many times our decisions can get in the way. Paul continues with verse 18 with an example. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Now, not to focus on alcohol too much, However, have you noticed how much bigger the footprint of Costco's alcohol section is since the pandemic started? Like, alcohol is something many people have turned to, and we don't want to ignore the practical ways that that can impact people's lives. And in fact, alcohol is a great example of asking this specific question in all three perspectives. Not asking what's wrong with it, but in light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do in this idea of alcohol, this example of alcohol? In light of my past experiences, but not just mine, my family's past experiences, my wife's family's past experiences with alcohol, it doesn't seem wise for my family to drink. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's a spiritual decision, it's really a practical one. And this doesn't mean that others who are drinking alcohol are unwise. It's actually exactly the point. Our past experiences are different, and so our wise decisions might be different for different people with different backgrounds. However, I would push back on one part. In light of our future hopes and dreams, it is probably unwise for more people to drink 
than we want to actually admit to. And partially because that's the nature of alcohol. It sort of chemically pushes our brains to more when it would be wiser for less. Okay, moving on from that, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead of filling yourself with anything other than God, whether that's alcohol, food, success, adrenaline, Paul says be filled with God's Spirit living inside of you. Because as we have said throughout this series, to make better decisions, we need God's help. And in that moment of, in the moment of so many decisions that we make, uh, we do about everything we can to undermine ourselves, right? We, we sort of rush. Uh, we don't stop to think about the decision. We deceive ourselves with our options. We silence our conscience. But with God's help, he can help us to slow down, to pause and to tell ourselves the truth or to let him tell us the truth through our conscience. That I don't want you to rob yourself of your own future. I don't want you to rob yourself of God's future for you. And while no one plans to undermine their own future, many people don't plan how not to. But asking this question, uh, using wisdom and sort of acting on it, is how you plan not to. And that's one way that you can sort of invite God into your decision-making process because all wisdom comes from God. So in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? And asking this question with the future in mind sort of brings clarity to whatever option you're considering. Uh, one pastor put it this way, he said, The deceptive shades of gray almost immediately disappear so we can clearly see our best option. And sometimes it becomes painfully clear, so much so that we're tempted to sort of ignore and excuse away the clarity we have. Well, but I'm not hurting anyone. Uh, I, I can handle it. And there's no law against it. And God will forgive me. And here's the thing. Our excuses or those excuses are persuasive because they're mostly true. Uh, you aren't doing anything wrong yet. Uh, you can handle it initially. It isn't illegal in your state. And, and God will forgive you. And that's actually all beside the point, though, because the point of this fourth question isn't to stop you from doing something wrong. The purpose of this fourth question is to keep you from doing something unwise. And unwise is usually a gateway toward regret. Uh, sometimes the gateway to a tipping point that can be a point of no return. And so here's the challenge. Would you be willing to put away your old, worn-out excuses once and for all? Because those excuses have never really served you well anyhow. They just sort of silence your conscience and sort of cloud up your reasoning and ultimately, they diminish your ability to hear the voice of wisdom and the voice of God leading you. Wouldn't you rather dream and plan your future rather than excusing yourself into the future? In light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? Then in light of where you want to be financially, uh, you know, five or ten years from now, what's the wise thing to do? Because you're going to be somewhere financially in five to ten years, and you can decide. Because if you don't decide, retailers, lenders, influencers who care nothing about you are happy to decide where you should be in five to ten years. Uh, what about if you're single? In light of what you ultimately want relationally, what's the wise thing to do? Is your current relationship paving the way to your preferred future? Or is that relationship sort of escorting you to a place you don't want to be? A place you swore you would never go? In light of what God wants for you later, what is the wise thing for you to do now? Uh, if you're married or you're sort of planning to go the distance with your spouse, what can you do right now to facilitate that dream? What or who puts that dream at risk? And what is the wise thing to do as it relates to protecting your marriage? Uh, if you have children, what do you do or how do you envision uh, your relationship with your kids in the future? And what's the wise thing to do right now to protect that dream? And as we wrap up, uh, here's a rhyme I learned from a pastor in Atlanta. There's good and there's bad, but that's not my cue. Rather, what is the wise thing to do? 
Don't settle for good. Don't settle for legal, permissible, acceptable, or even tolerable. Because if you do, you'll eventually find yourself living dangerously close to regret. And you're better than that. You deserve better than that. Your family, the people who depend on you, they deserve better than that too. Because one of the things that bothers most people about making decisions is sort of based on that right or wrong thing. The thing that bothers them is that it sort of seems to ignore the fact that each of us are different. That you are a unique blend of your past experiences, your current circumstances, and your future hopes and dreams. That no one has the exact same combination of those things. And this question helps you customize your decision making within the framework of the other questions that we've been discussing. Am I being honest with myself? What story do I want to tell? Is there a tension that deserves my attention? And what is the wise thing to do? That as a church, we really want to raise a, generations of, a generation of kids and students who walk wisely. But the best way to ensure that the next generation walks wisely is for them to see this generation get this right. So let's walk wisely. And if we do, we will make better decisions with fewer regrets and we will be more like Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, these passages. Thank you for the idea of wisdom that really comes from you. And it's the, you're the source of all wisdom. And God, as we come to decisions that we can think about in the past, uh, maybe some of us are thinking about right now, and some of us hope to be making some decisions in the future, God, would you help us to think about what's the wise thing to do? Because laws change. Uh, sometimes even morals change. Uh, what's acceptable socially changes. But wisdom seems to be something that is carried out throughout all those things. And we sort of intuitively know that because you put it there. You've given us a sense of wisdom in many ways beyond our own ability. And so God, would you help us in those moments to ask the question, in light of my past, in light of what I've come through, in light of what you've forgiven me of, in light of what I'm going through right now, the stress and the emotions of, of whatever the situation is right now, in light of what I hope for the future, in light of what I think you want for my future, what is the wise thing to do, God? And God, would you help us to ask the question? Would you help us to pause long enough to ask it? And then God, would you also give us the courage to actually act on that answer? Thank you so much for helping us. Thank you for your offer of help. Thank you for helping us through these verses and through these ideas. Would you please help us, God? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.